COVID changed a few things around here. And because during the time of risk, the risk was highest, when we were all in here singing, we did that, decided to do that last. So if you will turn in your Bibles to Proverbs, the 20th chapter, we'll start there and I'll be there in just a moment. While you're going there, I'll remind our people and review for those who haven't been here that we've been talking about this phrase that I've been taught all my life called the will of man and that God does not go against the will of man. I don't find that, that idea in the Bible. If we've been talking about what God's expectations are for those who call themselves Christians. I was asked last week to define a verse in 1 John, I think, chapter 3 and verse 9, where it says that Christians don't sin. And the interesting thing with that, he expects us not to, and we know that we do. But what that was talking about was habitual sin. That when a person takes on Jesus Christ, he quits sinning every day as a habit. And he starts listening to the Holy Spirit and to his conscience about the things that he does. And he knows that what he's doing is wrong. That's the biggest thing that a Christian knows that those who are not do not. Satan's trying to tell us continually that our sins run up a score against us. And God says, I forget your sins when you ask forgiveness for them. He says, it doesn't make any difference anymore that Jesus has died for our sins and that we ask forgiveness for them and we move on. So the thing kind of works out this way. We as Christians listen to what the Word says, either by reading it ourselves or listening to preachers or listening to teachers or hearing it on the radio, or hearing it on the TV, and we make up a list of things that we think that are no-nos for us. We don't need to be doing those things if we're going to be Christians. And everybody's got a little bit different kind of list. But then we find out as we get deeper into it that God's got His list too. And regardless of our list, his list takes precedence over the things that we don't need to be doing. 
But until then, we kind of get content with the fact that we're going by our list. And we don't always know that some of the things that are okay on our list are not okay on his. And we look around at each other to see if what we're doing is okay. He wants us to be without anxiety. He says that. He wants us to be without fear. He wants us to be without frustration. And we can live that way. He came that we might have joy and have it full. But we still get anxious and frustrated about all kinds of things because we don't turn our lives over to Him. Those of us who looked at the news hear about the earthquakes and the famines and the wars and we know that he predicted those things. Most of the news that is happening today is predicted in the Bible. Most of us know that, but they don't, we don't know enough about it to know exactly how it fits in. But he says when you hear about all these things, it's not the end yet. It's just an indicator that it's coming. So don't let that frighten you. We know just enough about it sometimes to be frightened about it, but we don't need to be because he says it's not come to the hard part yet. So looking at Proverbs chapter 20, in verse 24, it says, Man's goings or man's steps are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? I hope that those who were here the last couple of three weeks and looking at Jonah and his experience, God called Jonah to do a job for him. Jonah refused to do it, and he turned and ran. And then we saw a series of events that happened, and like I said to start with, most folks remember Jonah with the big fish. But that wasn't the point of that story. The point of the story was Jonah refused to do what God's purpose in his life indicated that he was supposed to do. We've been looking at the last few weeks that God created all of us with a purpose. And it's that purpose that he created us for that brings him glory. Jonah's purpose was to go to Nineveh and preach revival to them, and he refused to do it. And then there was a series of things that God brought about to insist that Jonah 
did what he told him to do, even to the extent of killing Jonah in the belly of a fish, and Jonah came back to life and was resurrected in that fish. And then at the end of the story, it said, like it did with the fish, that God had prepared a fish for Jonah. Then it says when Jonah sat down to see what was going to happen to Nineveh, God prepared a gourd. And it grew a vine up to give him shade. And he thanked the Lord for the shade. And then it said God prepared a worm. The story was about the extent that God goes through to see to it that we do his will. We think that we have a free reign down here. That as God's children, we walk around and make our own decisions. But I think we saw from that that we really don't have that option. That God intends for his children, all of his children, to be like his first child, Jesus Christ. And that he sees to it that he's going to create circumstances in their life that bring about their proper response and their proper choices for what they do in this life. And then when it comes down to it, because as we said, Paul, when he was struck down on the road and was born again there on the road with his blindness, Paul didn't want to be a Christian. He was killing Christians. But God's plan included Paul doing what God told him to do. And we saw the purposes for God changing Paul from a Christian hater to a Christian himself. God is exerting that force on all of us and the results of some of the things God does to us to try to get us to be obedient to him is reflected in our own lives as we look back and see the wisdom and what we should have done and the way it works out because we didn't. So it says here that our going is of the Lord and if he's in charge of the way we're going, how then can we understand our own way to go? And the point is we can't. It says in Jeremiah that, there, that we listen and there is a voice behind us saying go left and go right if we will listen and if we will be obedient to that voice of the Holy Spirit that tries to guide us through our life. A Christian person doesn't understand his own way because his own way is guided by God. If we turn over to the right just a few pages to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. 
Now, Ecclesiastes was also written by Paul, I meant by uh, Solomon, Solomon the wisest man. But Ecclesiastes was a book that was written about what he learned on this earth without spiritual guidance. But there's some good advice that comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 11, in verse 3, Solomon makes a point here. If the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. That happens automatically. And if a tree falls toward the south or toward the north, in the place where the tree falleth, there it shall be. In other words, when you see a cloud coming over and it's dark and full of rain, you fix it to get rained on. We see that, and it happens. If a tree happens to fall in the in the woods or in your backyard or whatever. I saw not long ago where a tree fell on a fellow's car and him sitting in it. But it says wherever the tree falls and the direction that it falls, it lays there. The point Solomon is trying to make is we don't have any control over that. He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. Now look what Solomon is trying to tell us. That if you watch the clouds too much, you'll never cut your hay because you'll be afraid it'll get rained on. But people who make their living on the farm have to take some gambles and have to take some risks and you're going to get some hay rained on sooner or later because he said you can't watch so close that you'll ever never have a problem with it. And he says if you sow a bunch of seeds, now back in that day they sowed by hand. And he's making the point that when you put seeds out, you don't know which one's going to come up and which one's not. Some of them will and some of them won't. And until you see them break ground, you don't know what that's going to be. Verse 5 says, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, or the way of the wind, you know it described the wind, or this word spirit with the word wind, because you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going, but you can see the results of it being there. Nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child. Now we've got that changed a little bit. They didn't have MRIs and all these other things back in those days. So when he spoke of not knowing how a child grows in the womb of a mother, it was so back in those days. Nobody did know. Even so thou knowest not the works of God who makes everything. So the point he's trying to make is, folks, we don't have an understanding of what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And so many times we stick our neck out thinking we do and we don't. So then Solomon is trying to say, verse 6, In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be all the good. You don't know when you plant something whether it's going to come up or not. So what do you do? You break the ground, you prepare the seedbed, and you plant it. It's as simple as taking a flower, buying a flower and putting it in a pot, or putting a seed in a, in a pot, and hope that it grows. We talk about people with green thumbs, that everything grows for them. But the point that God is trying to make with these verses is this. We don't know. And if you try to live in such a way that you'll be exactly right all the time, you won't get very far. Life is a chance. And we're not to have any fear. We're to plant and to pray and see what happens. Back a few pages to the left in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 6. Solomon says, Because to every purpose there is a time and a judgment. Therefore the misery of man is great upon him. People have a tendency to worry a good bit because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And their judgment, they use, try to use good judgment in what they're doing, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? So we don't know. And people have tried every way in the world to find out. I was told yesterday about a couple of guys that was rodeoing, and one of them, they drove by a trailer that had a lady who was telling fortune. So one of them decided that he wanted to stop by there and see what his fortune was going to be. He was a bull rider. And she told him, she didn't know what his occupation was, but she told him he was going to get killed by a bull. <laughs> and he never got on another bull. And they said, do you know why he quit riding bulls? I said, no, I really didn't. I know he quit, but I didn't know why. He went by and the fortune told, teller told him that a bull was going to kill him. And he knew she didn't know that he even rode bulls. So he felt like it was true, so he quit. That is the thing we have to deal with. And God told us to stay away from the fortune tellers. He killed King Saul because he asked a fortune teller what his fortune was going to be. He tells us to stay away from people. And there are people who can actually tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And they're right because they get their power and their information from Satan himself. But I think that we can see, begin to see, if we didn't know already, that in the story of Jonah, that God manipulates our circumstances to bring about the desired results he wants. Even if this is to go to the extent that one of his servants has to be eaten by a fish. <laughs> That's a pretty big deal. We tend to remember that. But it was because his servant was disobedient that it went to that extent. Several years ago, I had a library full of books on God's will attempting to try to live like God wanted me to live. And then I came across a book that apparently was written by somebody with a great deal more wisdom than what had written the books that I had. And he said, if you look around, you're pretty much living in God's will as it is right now. You don't have to search out God's will because he's keeping you in, good, in his will by the way he manipulates the circumstances in your life. So I got rid of all my books on God's will. There wasn't any purpose I could see in trying to seek that out. We go back now to Romans chapter 9, where we were last week, to bring back the idea of what God is trying to do. In Romans chapter 9 and verse 11, it says, was talking about Jacob and Esau in their mother's womb, and one of them God liked and one of them God didn't like. wasn't because anything they had ever done, because they're still in the womb. They've never done anything. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or any evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. I wrote in my Bible, not of works, that's us. Not of what we've done, but of him that calleth, of God. God has got a plan he created us to fit into that plan. He had a purpose for us. He equipped us to do that purpose. And now he's going to see to it that we do it. And he's going to change circumstances in our lives to make it easier for us to do it and to prevent us from doing something else. In verse 14, it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Is he showing favoritism? Is some people he likes, some people he doesn't like? Does that make him unfair? He said, don't even think that. You can't think that because God is not unfair because he designed it to be like he wanted it to be and that's the way it's going to be. And he's staying with it to see that that's the way it happened. 
For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. God's got a plan. And most of us have a plan. And God doesn't pay that much attention to our plan. That's what he's saying here. So it's not of me that wants to be this or wants to be that or it's not about my ambitions but it's of God and his choices in our lives. And I have seen that in my own life because I wanted to be something that God didn't want me to be. And it didn't happen. And I tried every way in the world I could to make it happen. And it didn't. Sometimes we make those choices for our plan and it works out that we never get to accomplish the purpose that God had for us to start with. Verse 17, he's got a little proof here. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now think about something, folks. The Israelites were in slavery for 460 years in Egypt. You remember how they got there? Because there was a drought in their land and they didn't have anything to eat. God caused the drought. God caused them to move to Egypt where they'd have food. God caused them to be slaves because they didn't obey him. And then God, like he promised them he would do, he brought them out of Egypt. Pharaoh didn't want them to go. And you have studied, I'm sure, all the things that God told Moses to tell Pharaoh, and Pharaoh told Moses, it's not going to happen. You're not going. And of all the things that Pharaoh went through, even to losing his firstborn son, because God hardened his heart. Because God wanted to show the world who he was. The whole book of Exodus, 40 chapters in our Bible, are in there because God wanted people to know who he was. And his chosen people had to live 460 years in slavery because they didn't want to do what God told them to do. So we've come to a place to where God is trying to show us as his children, I intend for you to be the best-minded kids on the block. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to see that you're that way. Therefore, verse 18, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and on whom he will he hardeneth. He will make people's hearts hard to turn us into what we need to be. 
he goes to an awful lot of trouble to see to it that the plan that he designed before the beginning of the world, before he created anything, he had a plan for you and for me and who we would be and how we would act. I mean, if, if, if any of you have studied the, 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 the spiritual gifts and what it does to a person's personality, the things that it will motivate a person to do because of the gift that God decided that I would have. I was 37 before I knew I had the gift of teaching. And not long after that, I couldn't help but explain everything. If somebody asked me about something, I had to go to a great detail to explain it. One fellow told somebody, don't ask him what time it is because you have to stay there while he tells you how to build a watch. Well, that was all of my spiritual gift. That's what I'm called to do. And I didn't realize that it would have me so closely in line with what I'm supposed to do. But it helps me because here's what I'm doing today is standing in front of you trying to explain to you what God wanted you to understand. So he created us and equipped us each one to be specialists in some kind of field. It's like he said in 1 Corinthians talking about he was building a church, but he was building it out of people. And it's like we're on a big construction job and there's electricians and carpenters and concrete people and plumbers and electricians and whatever. And each person has got a specialty in this whole thing that God calls a church. And I had to learn that in this job we call a church that when somebody called for somebody with a different gift that I had, when the situation called for somebody that didn't have my gift, I could keep, if I was on break, I could keep right on eating my sandwich. <laughs> but when the call went out, we need a teacher I had to listen up because it might be me. I think about what a fellow deacon told me one time. He had about six or seven kids. And he says, I've learned that when they leave the breakfast table, I can tell them today, right after lunch, I'm going to call you guys and we're going to all get in the car and go so and so. He said, I found out when I tell them that ahead of time that all I've got to do is go out the back door and holler and they all come to the house. But if I don't tell them that, it's liable to take me two hours to get them all gathered up because they're scattered all over the neighborhood. So what God has done is give us his word and showed us the trouble he has gone to, the detail that he went to in each one of us to not only create us with an individual personality, with individual talents, 
with a preponderance toward a certain skill level and then when we were born again gave us spiritual gifts that we have as the folks that used to tell me down in Tuskegee on the plantation they have slights it's used that word is used one time in the Bible it's used as a as a way to fool somebody though but there's another definition of it and I would ask those people when I was a young guy working down there on the plantation how is it that he handles an act so good it's because he's got a slight that's what they would say he had a tendency to have ease in that skill and that's what we all got and that's what spiritual gift is in the church we have a tendency to do the right thing and make the right move concerning some part of the church and God gave us that so he's got us fixed as specialists on the job and we've got to listen up constantly that when our job is called that we respond properly and we place ourselves in a place to where God can use us for whatever purpose he's got that day for us to do You know, I've got in my Bible some phrases highlighted with orange. Most of mine's yellow, but I've got some that's orange. And it's when Jesus marveled, when he was amazed at something. And Jesus wasn't amazed at much. He said that didn't nobody have to tell him about men because he knew men. He knew how they worked. But there were two times that Jesus, it said, marveled. One time he marveled when he went home to preach to his neighbors that he couldn't get anything done because they all remembered how he was raised. Well, why is he coming in here claiming to be the Messiah? He was raised right down the road. We know his mama and his brothers and his sisters. How can he know so much? They didn't respect him. They didn't listen to him. And it said he marveled because of that. He wasn't expecting that. And the other time he marveled or was amazed at something that happened was when the centurion told him, I don't, you don't need to come to my house to heal my servant. All you've got to do is speak a word. And it said he was amazed at how much faith that man had. So the thing that seemed to really draw Jesus' attention to what was going on on the earth at the time was how much faith people had and how much faith they didn't have and to what extent they were willing to stick their neck out to operate on faith and the hope that God would honor their exercise of faith by making things turn out right. So it's like my granddaddy used to tell me, even a turtle don't get anywhere till he sticks his neck out. So in these scriptures today, God is telling us 
You're not going to know what tomorrow is. There's no way for you to find out. And if there was a way for you to find out, I've refused to allow you to use it. So you're going to have to operate on faith just like everybody else does. It says in Hebrews, without faith, none of us can please God. So not knowing what tomorrow is going to be, we got to live the life we live and depend on God to do the things that God does to bring us about to a place that he wants us to be. Not where we want to be, but where he wants us to be. And I think in the last several weeks, we've seen several instances of the detail and the trouble that God will go through to get us to do every single thing he wants us to do just like he wants us to do it. We can rely on him for that. We don't have to worry so much about everything being perfect. That for the most part, God has created our lifestyle. If we respond to the Holy Spirit that is living within us, if we respond correctly, God's going to have us in the place where we're supposed to be. He doesn't want us with anxiety. He doesn't want us with frustration. So then the job that we have and the things that we do and the way we spend our lives every day will keep us from fearing and keep us from having frustrations. And as Paul said, in whatever state I find myself, therewith to be content. So I think it's a, it's a proper thing with God for us to seek those things that make us contented in what we're doing, to seek a profession that we enjoy, doing things every day that we enjoy doing, that fits us, that we're good at. We can see pretty quick what we're good at and what we're not and how we always perform better doing things that God has proposed for us to do and equipped us to do that. So what do we do? We pray and then we move. And God blesses our movement if we move like he told us to in our prayers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your instruction. Thank you for telling us what we're supposed to do. Thank you for telling us what you expect of us. After all, you did create us. And we see that you created us for a purpose. So teach us to learn to work within that purpose and to do the things that you're pleased with that we do in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen.